What is up, everybody? This is Ryan here for the Scale Up Show. Got a different guest on today, but it is dropping fire. Mike Monagu, who is director of community at Sandler. Uh, really, really cool things that Mike has done. Um, man, leads community over there on top of it, too. Content uh, has dropped over 600 podcast episodes and also wrote a book on LinkedIn and how to leverage that to grow revenue. So you're not going to want to miss this. Definitely check it out. How do you grow like a VC-backed company without taking on investors? Do you want to create a lifestyle business, a performance business, or an empire? How do you scale to an exit without losing your freedom? Those are the questions, and this show is the answer. Welcome, everybody, to The Scale-Up Show. This is your host, Ryan Staley, and I have a very special guest with me today. I have Mike Montague. Mike is the author of the book, LinkedIn, The Sandler Way. He also has a podcast, How to Succeed Podcast, where he's approaching 600 episodes. By the time this is released, he'll probably cross that barrier. And on top of it, too, he's a director of community at Sandler. Mike, welcome. Happy to have you on the show, man. Hey, so good to be here. It's fun to find another sales podcaster and to be a guest. Uh, After 600 episodes, it's always a little awkward for me to be on the other side. Is it like you get to chill a little bit more or is it just like... uh, I'm sure you've been guesting on a lot of podcasts. You had to have been a guest on a lot of podcasts, haven't you? Yeah, I am almost as much as I, I interview. Okay. But um, it uh, it is still always awkward, though. I feel like there's always a time where I want to jump in and take over the show. And dude, uh, that's natural. I mean, six hundred is patient and, and a lot. Six hundred is a lot of cycles. So, so real quick, man. Like you have a really interesting backstory. Like tracing all the way back to 2010 with some of the cool things that you were working on that we talked about during the pre-show that I think relate to media, right? And, and how like tech companies are also either becoming a media company or they're acquiring a media company. And so, you know, something really, really awesome that I think would be great for you to share is just kind of like your journey going back then and what happened and kind of how it took you to now where you got like, you know, 3 million, up, 3 million downloads on an episode not an episode, 3 million downloads for the show. You know what I'm saying? So walk us through that, man. Give give us a little bit of a backdrop. Yeah, it's kind of a crazy story, but it makes sense here. Um, So my dad bought a Sandler training franchise when I was a junior in high school. So Sandler is an international training company, do sales and management training all around the world. He owned a location in Kansas City. So I took my first professional selling course when I was a junior in high school, about 15 uh, years old had nothing to to sell. And I thought it was really cool. I love the psychology and everything about uh, business and being an entrepreneur. And my dad was very entrepreneurial, encouraged us to, you know, do side hustles and uh, sell the candy for, uh, you know, the scouts and, and all the sports teams and all. I all did that. that. Fun. I yeah. did yeah. that. I forgot to mention that on your show. That was go ahead, man. That was awesome. The, selling the candy. Like, what, did you guys have market day, like market day candy or no? No, okay. No. I, I forget the brand of it now, but it was yeah, the anyway. generic uh, chocolate and almond bars. Yeah, that, there's that dude. That's what it was. It was a big white that, wrapper. Anyway, yeah. so it might have been market day, but go on. You hit you hit me in my soft <laughs> spot with some of the uh, sentimentality of it. You know, go ahead, man. Uh, it's great times, right? But um, I wanted to be cool. I wanted to be on the radio and, and stuff. I was also, I should mention, the third part of the story is I was gifted at, at computers. Uh, I don't like saying that word, but my mom won a computer in a radio station contest in like 1986. 
So they didn't have programs and stuff there. So in order to use the computer, I had to program it to make games and and stuff. So I think in eighth grade, I made a computer roulette wheel uh, program by myself nice. and uh, some other games. I reprogrammed a girl's uh, computer to ask her out when she turned it on. Come on, uh, in eighth grade. Uh, pro tip. Not cool. Uh, that really just freaks out somebody in a computer class that the teacher's going to come over and see it. And uh, computer skills not winning girls over uh, in the 90s. Uh, but um, here's the, the long story. So I wanted to be cool. I wanted to be on the radio. I got a, a job DJing and doing karaoke shows and then worked my way up to hosting the uh, a night show on the Top 40 station here in Kansas City. So I was Romeo because of my last name. Uh, on Mix 93.3, Kansas City's number one hit music station. Uh, and I got to play a lot of uh, Justin Timberlake in the 2000s, a lot of Rihanna, Fall Out Boy, all that good stuff. Nice. Paris Hilton had a hit. It was not a great time for music, but oh. it was super fun. Uh, but radio was kind of um, blowing up at the same time social media was and internet podcasting and internet radio came out. So I started a local Kansas City show called Party KC in like 2005, I think. And then 2007 started an internet radio station and it got up to 30,000 listeners a, a month. And the wow. music rights started costing me so much money that I either needed to sell sponsors or shut it down. So I just sold off the whole station to, to somebody else. But man, that's one of my biggest regrets now. If I still had that role and that could be millions of, of listeners now. Yeah. And then the long story short is um, that got me into internet marketing and uh, a lot of content marketing, like you said, a media company. I feel like every person hustling now, whether you're an individual salesperson or content creator, you're in some sort of mid media business, either social media or photos or videos or podcasts. And uh, then I, I jumped to work for uh, Sandler full time. I've been doing this 12 years as a sales trainer, trained for big companies like Uber and Thermo Fisher Scientific on the international team and wrote a book on LinkedIn that got the attention of LinkedIn because we did the training for them as well. So LinkedIn Sales Solutions picked up the book and it was downloaded, I think, like over 30,000 times, nice. something like that when it, it first came out. And uh, it's still for free. If you go to Sandler.com slash LinkedIn Secrets, you can get the PDF version for free. It's about seven years old now, but I knew stuff was going to change. So it's evergreen content about how salespeople Leverage technology to engage, not to hide, not to spam people or not about certain search filters or buttons or, or tactics that I knew would all go away. But really, how do you start more sales conversations, add more people, opportunities uh, and information to your pipeline? And uh, that's basically how we got here. So when I, I started the How to Succeed podcast for Sandler eight years ago and started doing webinars and now a YouTube channel and uh, it's been really fun to kind of build all of that from scratch. And I say I grew up with the Internet. So, you know, when I was young, so was the Internet it wasn't invented yet. I was the remote control for my dad, uh, you <laughs> know, in the early 80s <laughs> to now we have AI coming out. And I feel like I'm uh, finally getting some artificial old age intelligence and, and wisdom. <laughs> Love too. that, man. Yeah, I was the uh, I, I was the, ro the remote control, the human remote control as well. So. Um, you know, grew up in the time of uh, Goonies and then Back to the Future and and uh, all those yeah, uh, so fun good. movies and, and things like that. So it was Do you great... feel old now that the future <laughs> in Back to the Future was like seven years ago? 
I know, right? With everything with flying cars. But the Cubs did win the World Series, which is pretty wild how uh, close that was timing-wise. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> man, I, I love that. So, and, and a lot of things we could talk about. So, let's let's talk about your book real quick first because, you know, LinkedIn Secrets, uh, it's, it's funny because you see the same mix-ups, the algorithms change, but the mistakes stay the same, right? Um, but we'd love mm-hmm. to hear just like your perspective on the top one, let's say the top three most valuable things from that book that are applicable today uh, in terms of like how not just reps, but managers and organizations leverage LinkedIn to really, really grow their business. I got three good ones for you. We're going to start super simple because there still are people that mess up their profile and what they're trying to do on there. And then I'll give you a ninja level pro move that almost nobody does but if you do it, I promise it works uh, every single time. I'm going to say every single time. Love it. I'll give you your money back on the free book if it doesn't work uh, on, on our pro level ninja tactic. So um, the first one is profile. Most people write their profile like a resume and they post things that are promotional. And so there's this basic human psychology that no company wants to hire a salesperson that needs a job. If you're a salesperson and you can't sell yourself to get a job, like I don't want to hire you. I want to hire an awesome rep that's already selling something and crushing it and recruiting away somebody that's that's already killing it. And I think that that's where a lot of people mess up is they have backward looking profiles saying, look at how awesome I am and look at how much stuff I've accomplished rather than forward looking profiles about here's the type of people I want to attract. Here's the problems I solve for people and making it outwardly focus. It's just a counterintuitive thing that all salespeople, especially when you're new, you make that mistake of making it all about you or your company's products and services and nobody cares. What they care is what's in it for them. Problems you can you can solve for them. So that's number one. You have any thoughts on that one? Yeah. Well my question is like and I, I agree, you gotta definitely have like the forward looking like how you serve them, like what's in it for them. Do you think there's a balance though of like to make sure because like there's so many quote unquote and I'm, I'm doing air quotes here, thought leaders that have no tangible experience or outcomes with what they've created. So is there in your mind, like a, a balance of like, hey, you, you got to prove that you're not just some random, you know, random, let's just say random. I won't swear like I did on your <laughs> just show random. earlier, just some yeah. rando, right? Who's who's talking a good game that's a good marketer um, comboed with the forward looking or what's kind of your feedback on that, man? It's interesting. I think it's a a trap. Um, I think there are some things maybe that um, you can do to build your credibility, but it's not what you think. Okay. A lot of people think it's joining all the groups and having big connections lists and and having big uh, resume. But what I found is uh, like Michael Jordan doesn't have to tell people he's good at basketball, right? Other people do that for him. Um, you know, and he probably doesn't list all of his jobs and, and accomplishments on his LinkedIn profile. Uh, people know that stuff already. What is more interesting, and this is kind of tip number two, is if you think about the Internet, um, there's billions of people begging for people to pay attention to them. They're trying to make as much noise as possible. So if you zig while everybody else zags and you keep a small list, and you keep really deep relationships with a few key people and you actually network in a way that starts conversations with people, you don't have to build the whole list. People find you. People make introductions for you. Or 
the people that are connected, do you notice your posts? So what I think most people miss in that philosophy to go bigger and wider, and I'm not saying that's what you suggested there because credibility is a different thing, but when people go bigger and wider, what they miss the mistake of is that that algorithm, unless you have high engagement levels, it doesn't show your post to anybody. So you can be connected to 5,000 people you don't know and 100 people will see your post. Yeah. Or you can be connected to 150 people that you know and like you. And if they all see your post, you're getting 50% more people that see it. Plus, they like, they comment on it, they engage it. And then it actually goes to wider people. So you might get 1,000 people to see your post with only 150 followers because that algorithm is all measured on percentage of engagement of people viewing it. So actually going wider hurts you. And LinkedIn has been saying this from the beginning, LinkedIn especially. But even on the other channels, the similar thing is true. Now, as far as credibility goes, I think there are some things you need to do. It's like get a professional photo, you know, create stuff of value and give to your network and uh, demonstrate your experience. Anything you can do to show it to people, to let them experience it, to invite them to a, a live audio event or a webinar. Or uh, you and I just did a live stream on LinkedIn where I'm interviewing you as an expert in, in sales, I don't have to tell people that I'm an expert. When they see that I've interviewed 600 other thought leaders, they assume I'm one of them. Mm -hmm. uh, does that make sense? Yeah, it totally makes sense, man. Hello, this is Ryan here. Real quick, if you are enjoying this episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave a comment or review. If you want more help or just want to learn more about what the top SaaS CEOs and founders are doing, check out my website at www.ryanstaley.io. Join my newsletter, check out other free content resources I have there, and let me know if you want to scale your business. Now back to the episode. Not to go on a tangent, but like, so LinkedIn Live, what's, what's, I don't want to quote Jerry Seinfeld, but like, what's the deal with LinkedIn Live, right? <laughs> what's the deal what's with the LinkedIn deal? Live? Yeah, exactly. Like, um, so much potential, but it like, it doesn't get pushed out. It's like, it's, it's kind of weird, man. Yeah, like, it does. You know what I mean? Same thing with the groups and other stuff. I think LinkedIn struggles to add features, but it really is all about those engagement levels. And here's what you have to realize. Uh, none of the social media channels, LinkedIn engagement, are in the business of promoting you and getting you more free views. They want you to pay to promote your posts and they want them to have more engagement and more viewing time for their audience. So if you want a, an event or a post to do well, you got to make it really, really good so that other people spend time doing it. And if you get people to spend 20 minutes on LinkedIn watching you do a live podcast, that's very valuable to them and the number of ads that they get to serve and their engagement matrix and people coming back to them for value. So the hard part is that means nothing for you. They sent no new listeners to you. They don't care about you and building your audience or selling your product at all. So you have to take a different approach to, to that. And that's kind of where I was going to go with uh, tip number three is really getting specific about doing the hard work. Most people are on social media because they think somehow it's going to go viral or they're going to get new people. And it just doesn't work that way. It worked that way 15 years ago when I started, but 
any mature platform and it still kind of works that way on TikTok because it's new. So they're giving away like a casino or a drug dealer free hits. You post a video on TikTok, we'll give you a free 5,000 views of people that haven't seen it. But if you're not getting them engagement, that freebie slowly dwindles off. The next one has 2,000 and then it has 100. And then your post has your six friends and your mom that that viewed it. Uh, and it's exactly what they do at slot machines at the casino to get you addicted, right? Is first one looks like it wins and then we're going to slowly take your money for the rest of the time. And that's what the social media um, game has been all about. So instead, what people are missing, and I have to remind myself of this all the time because I've been doing this for so long, but if I post a uh, a joke of the week on my YouTube channel and it gets 1,200 views and, and 10 people liked it, that means nothing for me. They're not buying into my products. They're not booking me for a keynote speech or something because they saw a 30-second joke I posted on YouTube. So I have to really decide where is the value and where are the people that I want to talk to in that. So the example I always give is if somebody came up to you at a real life networking event and they said, hey, Ryan, I like your shirt. And you just turned and walked away and ignored it. Um, that's rude. Right. But how many times do we go? Oh, I only got 10 likes on this post. But you didn't thank anybody that came up to you and said, hey, I like your post. I like your thought leadership you put out there. So start conversations with those people. Don't worry about the thousand people that didn't see your post. Worry about the 10 that did that said they liked it and say, hey, Ryan, thanks for liking my post. What'd you like about it? How did it hit home for you today? If I was going to make something else, what topic could I cover for you? Anything to start a conversation with a real human being rather than playing the social media game where we're getting fake likes. And uh, it's been proven on Twitter, like 80 percent of those were robots and other people liking and trying to inflate their own posts and stuff that it wasn't real engagement. But if we can find the real humanity in that and reach out to them. That's where I think the the magic lives. So here's my pro ninja tip that I promise works. Pro ninja, go. Any meeting on your calendar. If I'm meeting with, with you here for this podcast interview, I can go on your LinkedIn. I can search your connections for people who would be my ideal prospect. So all I have to do is click on your profile, click on connections, then search. And I can search for like VP of sales that Ryan knows. And since I'm a sales trainer and I do public speaking and stuff, um, I could make a list of the top 10, 20 people that I see on your profile that would be cool introductions for me. And then here's the pro tip in my meeting with you live on, on my calendar. This can be a prospect. It can be a referral partner. It can be a client or a fellow employee. I just say, Ryan, I went on your LinkedIn and I found some people that I thought might be cool for me, but I'm trying to grow my business. I need to add some stuff to my pipeline, but I don't want junk in there either. Can you help me qualify this list? Just scratch out anybody that's an asshole, anybody that doesn't pay their bills, scratch out anybody that wouldn't buy or buy from me that's not a good fit. But if there's anybody left, could you tell me like who you could introduce me uh, to that or, or I could uh, introduce myself to that might be interested in what I do? And I've never gone 0 for 20. I've never had anybody scratch out the whole list and go, I don't know any of those people. They're all jerks. They, they don't pay their bills. I don't want to introduce you. They always give me one referral. So then I call that the yellow brick road on the calendar. All I have to do is fill up my calendar for two weeks. And if I do this tactic on every time I, every meeting on my calendar, I book another appointment for two weeks out with somebody else. I never have to do any prospecting. This is the only thing I'm doing. My calendar is booked solid with great referrals and introductions. Love that, man. 
I, I, I'm a believer in that too. And I, I, I love that. I'd recommend folks to, to leverage that as well. Here's my question for you though. Yeah. Why don't more people do that? It's hard. It's hard work. It's not automated. I can't just it's, click a button yeah. and feel good that I got 10 likes or I sent something out. I have to actually talk to people. I have to actually spend some time researching and not a whole lot of time, five minutes before your call, but you have to have five minutes before your zoom call to go on their LinkedIn and, and look at who would be interesting uh, and stuff. And so, so true, man. everybody moves too fast and it's the hard work that you do to actually build a, a business. And same thing with the likes. Everybody's worried about getting more likes, but what are you doing with the likes that you're getting now? <laughs> Those are the ones that are important. Those are the people paying attention to you. Yeah. I mean, the, the interesting thing is there is tools for that now, right? So like where you could directly mm -hmm. message the folks that have the likes or that are commenting continuously on your posts. So, I mean, there's some interesting things that are, that are in that space. You do got to watch out though, so you don't get shut down. Um, if you're using different tools, you know, I've seen that happen to other folks as well. So, okay. So let's shift gears. I, and I think that was really great feedback on that. And that's something that I agree. Most people don't do it because it's not automated, right? They walk right by it. And, um, yeah. it's a basic, it's like a core basic that works really well. So, okay. Let's talk about the podcast now. Right. So, so Mike, you, you know, you're, you're about to hit 600 episodes, which is fantastic, man. That's, I'm I think close to 300 myself. Uh, so I'm, I'm nice. half, I'm half of way to where you are right now. Right. So, um, the question I have for you is like, and what's the single best way that you've grown your podcast that you would recommend to someone who is playing the long game like you they're, they're recording the episodes, they're doing it, they're being consistent, but how do you really, really grow that show? Three things come to mind for me whenever I get this question, and it's uh, blatantly obvious because you just answered these three questions as well. Uh, my How to Succeed podcast is based on three easy questions, attitude, behavior, and technique. So the first thing about the attitude is I love doing podcasts. I love interviewing people. I love learning for people. I made the show really easy. You and I didn't meet until we hit record. So it was all automated. You pick a time on my calendar. Uh, I have people reaching out to people, or I think you had somebody reach out to me too to, to get started. And um, it's all set up and easy. So I just show up at podcast time and I've got my microphone, my lights, my camera all set up. The software is all ready to go. The intros and outros are loaded. I'm doing it live. But it's something that I love doing and I look forward to every week when I have a podcast guest on, on my calendar. So that's the biggest one is you don't you do it for eight years if you don't like doing it. But I think inside of that attitude bucket is also um, this is fun. You know what the number one reason why people don't listen to your podcast, Ryan? Uh, no. Sure, because yeah. you don't make one uh, because <laughs> you don't you don't record one and put it out most people are still thinking about well i don't know what to name the show i don't know what i don't have graphics for the thing or whatever and you're not making it you're afraid to put yourself out there so part of it and that kind of takes us to the behavior bucket is you get to 600 episodes and 3 million downloads by continuing to go by doing it every single week whether I like it or not, I've had COVID three times. I've recorded a show every single time because it was on my calendar and that's what I was supposed to do. Were they my best shows? I don't know, probably not. But when you get into the habit of doing it and showing up every time, lots of good things happen. You learn how to do all this stuff. I started recording in Skype on audio, I think, and 
Um, now I'm doing it live on video with graphics and all kinds of cool stuff. And that's all things you pick up over time, but you don't, um, you're not ever going to start there. The only way to get to a good podcast is to have a shitty podcast first. Um, and I, I tell that about my time in radio kids, uh, when I speak to high schools and college students, they're like, how do you get a, a show on, on the radio and the top 40 station, like, like mix 93.3. And I go, well, you don't. You get a, a crappy afternoon or an overnight shift from midnight to 5 a.m. from Saturday night to Sunday morning. And then you get a slightly less crappy show where you can go uh, 5 a.m. to 10 a.m. and then put on Ryan Seacrest to do the America's Top 40 <laughs> at 10 o'clock. And then, you know, the, the regular guys with the good shows uh, and ladies take vacations and you get to fill in for a week or somebody gets sick and you get a chance to do that. And then eventually seven years later, you get your own show. Uh, and so I think that's really the behavior bucket. And then I've already shared a bunch of techniques, but the how is uh, for me that I share with everybody is set up a format that's repeatable. I have these same three questions that I ask every three guests. It's been 600 episodes. They don't get old. They apply to everybody. But as long as I have the start of the show, the end of the show and three kind of flags or questions I want to hit in between, I can do a good podcast and I can keep it going and I don't have to do like hours of prep or I don't know the people that write their own uh, shows every time or the serial podcast. That sounds like a lot of work for me. That's just not my personality. But for me personally, I've set it up so that I, I love it and I can keep it going. Yeah, there's definitely, I mean, there's definitely different formats, man. So I think that's, that's great feedback you gave because yeah, there's the storytelling ones, like you're saying the serial or, serial, or did you see like only murders in the building? Did you see that at all? Yeah. 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 And like, same thing, like on there, they talk about that. Um, and that actually made me look they're at awesome, it. but they're basically producing like sitcoms and dramas that yeah, are, are huge exactly. budgets and, and a so, heck of a lot of work to, but, to get but out there. That's the thing, man. There's, there's something for everyone. I mean, some people might like that versus talking and interviewing someone, you know what I mean? Like that might be their preferred cup of tea. So, um, but yeah, I think, I think some, in your question, I don't want to cut you off there or jump ahead, but in your question, I think also is inherently, how do you promote your, your show and how do you get that out to, to people? And I found there is a secret with all the stuff that I've done is uh, borrowing other people's audiences. Mm -hmm. And I call it fishing with nets instead of poles. If I have to go and find every single listener myself, that doesn't work very well. But if I can go on other people's podcasts like this one, you have a sales podcast. I host a sales podcast. We can share listeners. Uh, that's people in bunches. They're podcast listeners that are salespeople that might be interested in this. I'm not finding one at a time. I'm finding multiple people at a time. Same thing with um, other audiences. So Sandler has a bunch of trainers. If I can get the 400 trainers that we have around the world to share it on their social medias, now I'm amplifying that 400 times what I could do by myself or um, using it as free reinforcement or sponsorships for industry associations or different groups of people. When I had my internet radio station, I provided the music for NASCAR races and um, uh, MMA fights that were just starting to broadcast online. They didn't know how to license music and to provide background when they were at commercial or in between fights and races mm -hmm. and stuff was going on. They were like, we just need somebody to fill time. I was like, perfect. I'll do it. If you promote my station, I'll provide the, the free music and the licensing easy trade, but got me tens of thousands of listeners with one deal. Right. And I think that's the magic of fishing with nets. That's awesome, man. Yeah. 
It's, I mean, that's a really, that's a really smart strategy. Uh, it's like applying Chet Holmes' Dream 100 strategy, but to other people's audiences, right? Which Russell Brunson talks about that in the market area. Uh, but I think yeah. he nailed it uh, in terms of the podcast, especially. So how many, how many guest podcasts have you been on? How many other shows have you been on? How many episodes, if you had to put a thumb in the air and guess, or maybe you know the exact number? I haven't counted. It's definitely not 600. I'm not doing it as much as I do my own show, but I, I try to get at least one or, or two a month. So I'm definitely in the um, over a hundred range, nice. probably. Nice, man. And then what about outside of just like, you know, there's a lot of uh, virality with different formats. And I know you live stream across multiple platforms. Any different, um, you mentioned YouTube. TikTok, anything like that that you see has has caused a big bump in your growth as well? That's a big thing for anybody, I think, that's in marketing, growing a business or or trying to uh, hustle again, do their own thing is um, it's a little bit lazy, but I, I call it leverage, right? It, we recorded live so that I don't worry about doing it. Sometimes when you pre-record it, people want to stop and they start and or I wasn't editing it a whole bunch anyway, and I was used to live radio. So for me, it's easier to do it live than it is to to record it. It just makes it weird. And then it adds more work to me uh, on there. Plus, there are some bumps on platforms like YouTube and LinkedIn that are promoting live right now that it just has a little bit different of an experience. People think you're doing a magic, you know, high wire act because you're doing it live. And there's something uh, to be said about their engagement. We had people chime in with comments and stuff, which always makes me uh, happier too. So I, I have more fun with it because when I was on the radio, that's the reason I'm not still doing that job, by the way, is I would tell the funniest joke I've ever thought of in my life and nobody would laugh. <laughs> Maybe one phone line in the corner would flash red and and it would be my buddy on his way to work going, hey man, I heard that one. That was, uh, that was a good one. And I'm like, thanks. Glad somebody liked it. And it just wasn't fulfilling. So I like that audience engagement. But then from there, when you do the hard work once, you got to repurpose the heck out of it. You got to take screenshots and make thumbnails for, for Instagram. You've got to make shorts for YouTube and TikTok and Instagram uh, reels, Facebook reels. You've got to uh, turn that into a blog post. And so all the content that was shared, uh, you can have AI tools that transcribe that, turn it into a blog post, post it there put that blog post into email blast content and send that to your email list and then post it on all of the social media channels. And so that one activity that I do turns into about 20 other pieces of content and social media following that um, keeps my calendar busy for the whole rest of the week. So if I do one hard thing, I need to make sure I leverage it. But then there's even uh, deeper stuff that you can do. And I'm sure you're aware of it, but when you have 600 episodes, I can do a best of book. I can do um, collaborations and uh, I can do repeat episodes or a collection of here's my top 10 prospecting podcasts and create them into downloadable resources that people um, download the white paper or listen to the audio and giving their email and join our newsletter list. And there's just unlimited number of ways I can repurpose it. If I do one cool thing, uh, that's the hard part. Love that, man. What's your favorite? What's your favorite repurpose you've ever done? Like the most successful one? Because you, you nailed it. There's there's so many ways you mm. could cut it and splice it. I tend to like the best ofs and the the roll ups. Um, you can kind of blog your way to a book or you uh, a course, create them into a course and, and stuff that um, 
can be interesting. Favorite is a different question. I'm going to have to say I love it. I still get the kick and I get the high out of the viral thing, too. So I mentioned it's like a drug when one of the jokes or one of the the clips goes viral and it gets tens of thousands of views or um, on the Sandler YouTube channel or some that have 70 or 90,000 views. um, Those things are cool to me. Then I feel like I really made some sort of dent in the the world. And I, I like that part of it. Love that, man. All right. Well, but you never know which one's going to hit. So I feel like you got to do all the other work just to get one of those. Oh yeah. You, you definitely, you, you gotta, yeah, it's, uh, there's, there's such a wide range of like, and there, there's been times where I've had posts go viral and I'm like, I, I have no idea why that yeah. went crazy. And then there's other, there, it's starting to get to the point now that I've been like posting long enough or doing it. I'm like, I think this has got a good shot. This one might have a good shot, right? Like, uh, but um, a- absolutely awesome having you on the show, Mike. Love hearing your journey, you know, in terms of everything that you've done, where you're going, what you've done so far, and some great insights in terms of leverage. Where can people find you? Where can they find out more about the show and then the work you're doing with Sandler? Check out the How to Succeed podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts. There's a secret one I didn't uh, mention either. If you look, Playful Humans podcast is my uh, side project. And I interview people that play for a living, like jugglers, magicians, uh, DC from Tag Team and the Whoop There It Is uh, hit from the 90s, all kinds of crazy people. That one's a fun one. If you listen to podcasts and you're looking for more, uh, go check that out. But um, Sandler.com. There's a ton of resources for sales and leadership. And this is a business podcast. If you want help there, uh, unlimited resources, lots of locations, lots of people that can help you. There's free books, like we mentioned, the LinkedIn book and all kinds of th- cool things in the resources area. So uh, appreciate anybody checking out. And you can always add me on LinkedIn if you want to start a conversation too. Awesome. Well, thanks for being on the show, Mike. It was awesome having you on. Um, Appreciate what you're doing. And uh, we will see you all on the next episode. Thank you for checking out the Scale Up Show. My mission in life is to help founders and revenue leaders avoid all the pain and suffering in revenue growth so they can flip it and create a life of their own design. So if you enjoyed this show, please like, review, share it on social, and more importantly, just share it with a friend. Share it with someone that you think could learn and benefit from what you heard on today. But the more we get the message out, the more people we could help, the bigger the impact we make, and the bigger the community gets, which helps everybody. So once again, thank you for being a loyal listener. I appreciate you and look forward to seeing you on the next episode.